today is the 17th of December 2023, and unfortunately, once again, we have to begin. Achenu kol Beit Yisrael hanetunim batzaru b'shivya homdim ben biyam ben biyabasha ben baavia hamakam yirachem alein yotziim mitzaru levarachal meafelu liyodem mishibed legula hashto baagala v'zman kariv v'noma amen. And I want to mention that one of the latest karbanot lo aleinu. It's a deep relationship to Yeshiva University. Rabbi Elisha Lowenstern, who fell in battle last week, our condolences go out to his wife Hadas, to his six children, his parents, Sharon and Rabbi Tzvi Heshi, who is a YU graduate, high school, college, Smicha Azrieli, and... Uh, I'll tell you something more about the quality of Rabbi Elisha, Zeichat Sadek of Racha. Technically, when you have six children, you're exempt from the army. And he insisted on in going back to his unit. I have uh, two great ne- two nephews who uh, also have ch- six children and should be exempted and age and all that goes with it. And they insisted on going back to their units, and it just breaks the heart. Sadikim kedoshim. I want to spend a few minutes commenting on Inyana uh, Dioma. Uh, first of all, I want to—I've never gotten so many compliments in my life on my article from Khatira, Wherever I go, I, I can't believe it. You might think everything I published until now is amratzit. So I want to thank. No, I've gotten from very big rabbanim, very important people. I want to thank everyone very much for their kind words. It is appreciated. I only hope the article goes where it has to go. And here I want to tell you a funny story that uh, someone, I don't know if he was joking or not, said I made up the story about the Mossad with Halperin because really what I was talking about was the demonstration in Washington. But, you know, there's an expression in Yiddish, in other words, you don't want to spell it out. So they said, Rebbe, your article came out perfect. I have to tell you, the draft of the article was written, I developed it over the years in the Kolel, first of all. Secondly, the first draft was written about two and a half years ago, and then I kept on polishing it. But Baruch Hashem, there was Hashkacha Pratit that the article should come out exactly when there's a replay of 87 with what happened now. And and I want to say another word here and tell you how I survive. I've gotten so many emails, people in person, people are suffering, suffering, that these are Gedoli Israel, these are Rashi Yeshiva, not just what happened in Lakewood and happened in Atel's uh, descendant, and uh, Mir Yeshiva, who would ever believe a great-great-grandson of the Chatam Seifa would say what he said in Mir Yeshiva? So how do you deal with it? So I'll tell you, I was suffering. It's not worth losing health over because it and rots it and 
Rishit. So I saw an article in McCurry shown, I think it was a week or two ago, and they had a tremendous article on all that went on in Mir. And the headline read, Mir Peanut Satma. The minute I saw that headline, I feel better. These people are Satma. See, Rabbi Shalom Gold, I owe him an apology. I debated with him years ago, Zeichat Sadiq Lufracha, and I had a more benevolent attitude towards Satma. And he, I said, Satma, they're the greatest uh, fountain we have today for Balei Tshuva. And he said they destroyed the yeshiva in America. He said when I was, he was right when he didn't go to Wayu. He, he, he went to near Israel and, and he said everyone was, loved Israel, everyone was a Zionist. And today, take a look. I said this on it. I was interviewed by David Lichtenstein. Again, I didn't know who he was. People tell me I'm in the big leagues if David Lichtenstein wants, wants to interview me. All right, I'm in the big leagues. Halavai, I'm doing better than the Yankees. Um, but who would believe the Rosh Yeshiva Rebbarim was not Satma? He was not B'nai Akiva, unfortunately, even though I'm the Chatzif who said to him, B'nai Akiva's right, implying you're not. And he answered me, but, but, Satma, all right, once they're Satma, I don't count them to minion. If I have nine people and it's a, a, and I'll tell you the story that says it all, my dear student, Gedalia Friedenberg, so he had an Israeli flag up and his neighbor across the street, this is in the suburb, in the Muncie area, Satma came and demonstrated. So, and his wife is frightened. They can break your windows. There's no end to what people can do. I can tell you the chief rabbi of Tzvat was killed by, by a Lubavitcher who was mad at him that he wasn't a messianist. Uh, this is, I wish it wouldn't be true, but this is a true story. Kachave. And um, my Talmud went out and he spoke to the Sapa. And he says to him, I'm showing me Shabbos, you're showing me Shabbos, I'm showing my country, I'm showing we're Jews. What are you demonstrating? He says, no, no, the Sapa guy says, we're not, we're, we're not like you. I'm a Jew. I don't know what you are. And that's exactly Satma. So, Baruch Hashem, they're a different religion. These people that use the words Chazatreif, or what happened at me, I can't even repeat it because it, it, it'll take my health away. Yeah, it wasn't a Russian sheep. No, no, it doesn't matter. They allowed him this. Right, he's from a different place. I know that. Mir lost millions of dollars. It's not a simple matter what's happened. And they're trying to do damage. How do you allow a man like this to speak in public? How do you allow a man? And, and, and how, if I was sitting there, I don't know who I said, get up. Carry him out. We don't want to be courses here. Wow. This is a plot. This is where Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz was Rosh Hashiva. This is where Rabbi Chatzko Levenstein was Mashkia. Who are we talking about? But that's my answer. Satma? Okay. Let them live and be well. Don't come to my doorstep or to my minion. Okay. Now, uh, uh, one other issue that I want. Havahatalia. Uh, a Talmud listening by the name of Aaron Yaakov Lieberman, I, I've never met him to the best of my knowledge, but he, 
He's, he wrote a kuntris that Mashiach can come from the dead. It's not against our concept of Mashiach. I discussed this in great detail years ago towards the end of my lectures on the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I can't redo it now. I have one to teach today. I have all new material, material that will blow your mind. Uh, yes, there's a Gemara in Chelek, and it's a question how you interpret the Gemara if, if Mashiach is from the living, if Mashiach is from the dead, and they give names and doesn't mean really from the dead. It means like someone that we're describing. What does it mean? Someone, this name is real. That's, that's for me, it's not a problem. My dear Talmud, uh, sitting right here, Mark Wiener without the titles, so Mark paraphrases discussing this with Reb Aaron Soloveitchik. Mark, I also discussed it with him. And it, it, exactly your impression was the impression I had. And to, to paraphrase Rebaran, it is not but because it, but it is irrational. So I don't want to get involved in that level. But I have a different problem. And this I throw out, and I spoke about this a few years ago. Look into the Rambam, Hilchit Malachim, Perik Yudalev, Halacha Dalet. And what else does Mashiach have to do? Vinitzach Kalhaumat Sheshvivav. Has to defeat all the nations surrounding him. Kenny, you're sitting? When I came in Aliyah I started teaching in Mirchala, so I, they had a fabulous faculty at that time. It's many years ago. I think it was Rav Shlomo Mudam Gadol. And I remember he says to me, just right after the Sixth Day War, if Moshe Dayan would be Frum, could be his Mashiach. And he quotes the Rambam, V'nitzach kol Okay, I don't have to make an, an additional comment. So far, we haven't found a Mashiach who's this warrior. Could be, we're developing. If unfortunately you saw in this war, the role lower Lenu, the Hezda boys have taken in the army, in the Karbanat, in the front lines, all right, someday could be, we'll develop a Moshe Dayan, was wird nicht verfällen am Mincha. Vic, you get that? That's the ultimate compliment of Frumkite. He doesn't miss Mincha. Mark, you don't know Yiddish, so you don't appreciate it. But you see, Shachris, you wake up in the morning, you know you have to daven. Marav, before you go to sleep, you'll remember the daven. But in the middle of the day, nicht verfällen am Mincha, that's Kenyan achievement. I got to tell you, from the time I'm 12 years old, twice I missed Mincha. Twice. You know, you know when it happened? In MTA. Why did it happen? When I went to MTA, there was the old rule. If you had over a 90 average in your exams, you didn't have to take the final. So I wound up in the middle of the winter 
when Mincha is very early, Marav is very early, I had off two weeks. And I was out of functioning twice, twice I remember. Then they changed the rule that you have to learn how to take finals to prepare yourself for life. So it was the first two years, I think by the junior year, we were required to take finals. The first two, did you read Washington? I told you the first two years I had no finals. That's when I explored Jude. That's when I went to Satma. That's when I went to Chaim Berlin. That's when JTS, Rabbi Moshe Bick, and the library stories are fabulous. Temple Emmanuel being chased out because I said, Shaketz de Shatzenu. Oh, wow. Okay. Gentlemen, let's move on. We're touching upon an unbelievable topic, and uh, we're going to come. We're not going to finish it today by far, but we're going to come to two tremendous different mindsets. Our mindset and the mindset of Rabbi Menashe Klein and what he draws a picture that this is the thinking of Torah Hashem Tamima. Now, the question involves, and it's a question that we all face as professionals, if you're a social worker, if you're a nurse, imagine a kid comes in to uh, uh, Terem, one of the branches that David Applebaum and Shemi Komdamo established. Kid comes in all beaten up. First thing you have to ask, how did this happen? The kid says, my father beat me. No. A nurse, a doctor. Do you tell the police? Do you, do you file a complaint? And this is the question, Miss Sarah, and particularly so outside the state of Israel, Allah Kama the question is very, very important. And, and these are, it's a delicate question. Father beats up the kid. What kind of father is this? Where is Kibbut Aviyayim? Where is the love of a parent to a child? Where do you draw the line? How does this work? Now, there's no question that in the state of Israel, and this is what we spoke about a few weeks ago, and the last time we met, all the postum agreed that you must report the situation to the proper authorities. And the police, the social workers, and I told you that in the police department, and remember, all that's been developed in Israel, basically we've had endless tension. You wake up, you hear the news, this is, I'm living here 54 years, I told you, maybe July 4th, uh, 1976, was the best day, the most wonderful day that we woke up and the news was fabulous. And, and yet we've developed an entire system, uh, social workers, children, uh, I, my daughter was involved, the bus blew up, kids were left off and my daughter became responsible for them. The social workers knew, Yomo, uh, 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 can you close the door behind you? The social workers knew where to go, who to turn to, the judges, the people involved, the police department. And I told you, there's now a Haredi division of women. I saw their graduation. 
we're talking women in shaitos, not just tichels. It's uh, the B'nai Brat crowd. These women are officers who are specialists. A, a girl comes, Lo'aleinu, her brother is raping her, seducing her, whatever word you want to use. No, can we handle it? Can Rabbanim handle it? You need a woman who knows the mentality, the language. Okay, so there's no question in the state of Israel that uh, this uh, should be reported. Outside the state of Israel, we'll come to it later. And um, this, this is the question that Rabbi Nasha Klein is dealing with. Well, the first important uh, lesson he puts down is that parents are responsible, we are not to interfere. Children have to be raised by parents. There's nothing more important than parents in life. However, where parents are failing, then the baton has to step in. And this was when we ended off the class last week. Uh, I gave you the source. I told you the story about the Rav. And the story about the Rav, it made a very powerful impression on me. You know, there are certain things you see in life uh, that influence your thinking for the rest of your life. And I remember with Chaim Gold, the Rav used the words, Beitin apitrasim shel yesaimim, that avim shel yesaimim, that's the exact quote. And, and we're responsible, and where parents feel the Beitin has to step in. Now, when we say parents are responsible, what does this mean? Where does this responsibility go? How far can parents go in raising children? And here, the most basic Gemara of all, it begins, Makat of Chet Amid Aleph, and it continues through on the Chet Amid Bet. And what I remember I learned this Gemara when I was a kid in high school one summer, uh, we petitioned uh, Mr. Abrams, we want to have a shear during the summer. And I give why you credit. They gave us a Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel Feinberg-Shevich, anyone here from BTA? He later taught in BTA for many years. But the problem was he taught in Yiddish. And uh, I met students who told me, no, we kept away from his class, we don't understand the word of Yiddish. He was a wonderful Rebbe. He was a Shanghai survivor of Shmuel Pfeiffer Shepherds. And uh, I recall him fondly. And uh, we learned Makot. So you know in Makot there's a din of Gullus. Uh, the truth is, it's quoted right here. HaTalmud Shegala Maglin Rabbo Imo. This was a Talmud of mine here in the Kolel. And he later went to Mir. We took a picture right in front of the entrance to Mir. And uh, Gullis, you're going to Gullis. So what does Gullis mean? You, you, you fall off a ladder and you see you kill someone the show gang. All right. Uh, I have to tell you, you have many shiners like this. Halacha You're driving a car and a kid jumps out into the highway and lower lane, you hit the kid, the uh, you 
can imagine, I know people who went through this, including a Talmud of mine, a neighbor of mine, and, and how do you feel afterwards? All right, Gullus helped you feel better. You felt you were ex- expiating the situation. But the Gemara says openly, yes, Gullus applies when it's shogay. Yatsa ha'af ha'maket beno v'harav harodet talmido v'shliach beitin. And, and that's the Gemara, that if a, a father's knocking a kid around and he kills him, there's no goddess. It's less than shogek, that it's a father's job to straighten the kid out and, if need be, use corporal punishment. So the Gemara says, but wait a minute, Maybe the kid, what, what, are you, what are you beating him for? And it's a question, you've got to teach him Torah, it's your responsibility. So maybe the kid knows how to learn already. Why did the father knock the kid around? And, and the Gemara answers, Hatam Afagav the Gemara Mitzvah, the Ktiv Yisabincha. It's a Pasuk in Mishlei. And wow, what a concept that if you beat the kid, it's going to grow up good, straightened out, and he'll bring luscious food to your soul. And, and you see what you're touching upon here. It's if the Gemara is saying, don't worry, straighten them out, beat him, hit him. Even if he knows how to learn the Daf Gemara, he has to learn more. Now, we're sitting here in the year 2024. I don't believe anyone here thinks beating a kid is good. I don't know. Are we wrong? Are we right? I went to Yeshiva Salanta. There was a ruler on the desk of every teacher. I've been teaching Torah, Baruch Hashem, on Shabbos. I walk out of shul. I'm like a celebrity, a whole group of rabbanim. One of them, uh, Yomo, was Rabbi Willick's son. Gathered around me. Do you know who this is? This man is teaching 64 years. How they knew? Maybe they listened to the Shermer. And then, who hit a student? Who would dream of hitting a student? Follow? It's like we're hitting here two different mentalities. Which mentality is right? I don't know. I raised three girls, many grandchildren. I don't recall ever hitting anyone. I don't know. Salanta? The ruler on every desk. Teachers were sadists, some of them. Sickies. And, and I told you the story, and it's a, I wish it wasn't a true story. When I grew up, you all know we idolized Joe DiMaggio. Okay. DiMaggio only trusted Jews. An amazing thing. You can give a whole list to show the rest of a Jew. 
his money. Who managed it? A Jew originally from Borough Park. When DiMaggio died, he left his whole estate in the hands of this Jew. I write about him, I think, I think I write about him, I spoke about him in class. Uh, perhaps it's in Washington, perhaps not. Certainly on YU Torah. Moshe Engelberg. And uh, he trusted this guy. He wrote a book about his relationship with DiMaggio. He's the one who all the charity went through his hands. And he brought the Maggio, his daughter's bat mitzvah, the weddings, Ali Yiddish mentioned. And uh, one time I got a call. They want me to be scholar in residence in Hollywood, Florida. It's many years ago already. So I told them on one condition I can meet Morris Engelberg. That was my condition. I said, to go to Hollywood, Florida, I write, fuck me a gang. I don't know how to translate that. Fuck me a gang. I don't know. But uh, to meet Morris Engelberg, this is right after the Maggio died. So they say to me, Rebbe, we'll see what we can do. A day later, they call back, yeah, how'd they do it? Morris Engelberg is an estate lawyer. When, when Yossi walks into his office, the sand stuff. Every half hour was $500. You got it, Jesse? So a Meshuggah from Jerusalem, Bronx born, watched with Boris Engelberg. His heart, the, the man shows hearts. But in Florida, either all doctors are Orthodox Jews or all Orthodox Jews are Floridas. It's unbelievable. The man shows heart specialist at the Children's Hospital that the man gave a lot of money to through Morris is a member of the Young Israel of Hollywood. He showed me Shabbos. So they called him, they called the doctor, he called Morris, and you don't say no to a heart specialist. So now I come in to meet Morris, and uh, he, I, 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 let me take a minute off and tell you the truth. Come in, and we start talking and learning in baseball. My Talmud, David Goldus, takes me, and he, he flips out. He can't believe a Jew who's from Jerusalem and knows Torah he know, and Morris, the rabbi knows baseball better than I do. And he goes into his ball, and until last week is the most expensive gift I ever got. Last week I got a more expensive gift, yeah. Gave me a whole thing with the Maggio, with his autograph, with the signatures, with testament, Adam that testified the Maggio signed a tremendous picture. When I came back, the Kolo guy's price that was like over $1,200. David Goldis, my Talmud, must be a Russia, because the Gemara says we shouldn't get rewarded in this world. He got rewarded on the spot. He gave him a baseball sign by Joe DiMaggio for bringing the Rebbe to him. That's about $400. So, all right, he's not a Russia, must be a Tzadik, but uh, they inverted it. Now, when Morris went in to the vault, I looked at all the plaques on the wall, the Catholic organization, this hospital, this Catholic, this Schmatlick, this Batlick, you know, it's all the money given them. The manager was a Catholic. I take a look in the center. Is a document in Hebrew. Morris is a graduate of Torah Chaim of the Yeshiva. My mother-in-law taught him I couldn't believe it. 
when Morris comes out and says, Mashallah, how the hell did you become a Jew in a conservative temple? Look where you come from. He says, Rabbi, I'm quoting word by word, you asked me a very good question. All I remember about my elementary school yeshiva was the teachers beat me with a ruler. Quote, end quote. Let me just end off, close the parentheses. If anyone says a bad word to me about Chabad, I will slug them. Twenty years later, David says, Rebbe, we got to go back and see Morris. He's my age. About five years ago. We contact Morris. Oh, the rabbi from Jerusalem. Oh, I love to see him. I come into his office. All I see are posters from Chabad. I look at him. Morris, what the heck happened to you? Reb Moshe. Chabad picked him up, his wife, his children, two daughters, they all went along. He built a whole shul in Hollywood of where Chabad was not before, further away from Fort Lauderdale. He built the base medrash. I went in, I come in, dedicated in memory of his parents. Beautiful. Once a month he sponsors a Sudat Shabbat, the whole Kehillah together. So coming back, all I remember is the teachers beat me with the ruler. All right? I got to tell you, this is an open Gemara. Look what the... Afalgav the Gamaya. Mitzvah. He knows how to learn. How much you, I always told you, I thank the Lord that I never had sons. I didn't ever shrek, you know. By the time I had grandsons, boy, was I smarter. Kids, ah, you gotta have a childhood. I tell them stories about the Mechita. We cried that he didn't play ball. Ah, and those kids turned out fabulous. Unbelievable. My grandchildren, whatever they do, they all, Tehra, you're at Shemayim, learning some Dafyomi, Balkores. But wow, I had daughters. Daughters don't have to learn. Let them play with dolls, etc. Right? They end up learning better than I do. But that's a different story. Gentlemen, the Gemara says even though he knows how to learn, the father hits him. Fine. Then there's another Gemara. Makot Chefamid Bet, where it talks about. That ha'av golel yedei ha'ben. This is the same Mishnah that, that I showed you. Talmud shegalam maglin rabo imonu. The same Mishnah. Levians is the name of that dear Talmud. He's in Toronto. I wish you were here. Dafchet amidbet. It's a continuation. So the Gemara says the father goes into Kalas if he beats the kid. The Gemara asks. Wait a minute, how can he go into Gullahs? We just said that if you beat the kid to learn, it's no Gullahs, it's less than Shogate. So the Gemara says that he knows how to learn already. What do you mean? He knows how to learn. We just learned on Chet Hamadalaf. Even if he knows how to learn, beat him. It's good for him. Teach him who's boss. Wow. So the Gemara says, oh boy, can we get involved here with, with a discussion of core curriculum? The Gemara says, Shugya 
Shugil Denagri. What does Shugil Denagri mean? That uh, he's teaching him a profession. He's learning how to be a shoemaker. He's an assistant. He's learning. And so why should he go into Gullis? A father's obligated to teach him a profession. That's the Gemara and Kedushim. Ha'av chayav that and among the many things, umanato has to have a profession, has to make a living. The Gemara says, if you don't have a profession, you become a thief, you rob, you steal. Ha'av chayav umanut. If that's the case, why should he go into Gullis? It's a mitzvah to teach him. So the Gemara answers, it's talking about the Goma Umnatoachrina, that he had another profession. And now he wants to be a shoemaker before he, he knew how to clean out pipes, let's say. And he didn't like it, he was getting dirty. So look what Rashi says in that if he killed his son accidentally and he already had a profession you had no right to beat him to learn a new profession once he has a profession he can make a living don't bother him don't get involved in beating him to learn a new profession so, first of all, what do you see from this Gemara? That you're absolutely obligated to teach your son or daughter today core curriculum. And it could very well be that to teach core curriculum, you can punish him, you can hit him, corporal punishment. This is the Gemara. But you see what happens, Kenny... You're an accountant, am I right? All right, the middle of life, you decided you want to be a lawyer. Your father can say, no, you have a profession, be happy. You don't waste time learning a new profession. You understand? Or no, what would we say to the kid? You want to shift gears? Fine, I'll help you. I'll accommodate you. All right, I've never had that halacha And you know something, my eldest daughter, that would be an example of shifting gears. Be an interesting example. What happened was, she was in Hebrew U, she had graduated, she was working for a master's in English literature at Hebrew U. And in the house where she lived, it was a polyaguda complex, and they wanted to expand each apartment and one person objected, it will make noise for my mother, they expand. So they went to Baton. They were all from, they didn't go to court, they went to Baton. And, the, and it went all the way to the Supreme Rabbinical Court, to the Baton Hagadoli Ir Urim, which I've spoken about in great length many, many decades ago. Of course, we never had a concept of a Baton Hagadoli Ir Urim, and this is something new. It's a takana that we, that we have in Israel, which is necessary for a modern jurisprudence system. So it went through the whole bait, but they didn't, and they ruled in favor of my daughter and the other tenants against that man. Fine. At that moment, while this is happening, she sees an ad in the paper 
A new program is beginning for women who have bachelors and know how to learn a daf gemara on their own and are religious. We're beginning a program for rabbinic pleaders, toanot rabbaniyot. And my daughter shifted gears and went from English literature, Hebrew U, to this special program that Rabbi Riskin instituted and went on to become the first graduate, the first lady to have a degree as a Torah Rabbani in the history of our Torah people. But you see, she shifted gears. Did we encourage her? Absolutely. Not only that, afterwards she saw the legal system here is not enough to be in the Bate Dinim. Many times you have to go Bate Dinim for Gittin and the people want to deal with the money in the Beit Mishpat. So you need a legal degree. She went on to Hebrew you, but this time for a legal degree, not a master's in English literature. But you see, look at this Gemara. This Gemara would be a strong indication that Rabbi Nasha Klein is ultimately absolutely right. A father has a right for corporal punishment. All right, now I'm going to show you something amazing. I, I'm not playing the devil's advocate. This is what Reb Menashe Klein believes. And the sources are on his side. This Gemara in Makot is black and white. Beat the kid. Beat him too much. He knows how to learn. Doesn't matter. The concept of beating him, teach him who's boss. Shouldn't become a criminal. And all of us know. We can have the finest homes and you have one kid. He's off the path. A drug dealer. I just saw a Shaila to Rabbi Vinaya, a soldier down in us, arrest someone to get a marijuana. He needs it to handle the tension. And uh, Rabbi Vinaya answered, as long as it can be bought legally, you have to do what he says. But this Gemara, the more you beat, he knows who the boss is. He's going to look up to his father. It's very powerful. And not just to learn Torah, to give him a profession. Wow. To put the other point of view in your mind, what you're dealing with here is a very delicate question. And many people agree with Rabbi Menashe Klein, even from our world. I first look at this, and I'll quote to you from my dear Talmud, Rabbi Mark Dratch, uh, who first by executive vice president of the RCA. They're furious at Rabbi Menashe Klein. You'll see later in the Chuvah how he develops and what he thinks. But... This Gemara and Makkad is very powerful. Well, Yassi is sitting there thinking, Rebbe, if that's the case, how come my wife and I just got married and we resolved we'll never beat our children? He just thinks about it. He says, my father didn't beat me. And 
have corporal punishment because of the Hasidic yeshivat. How do we justify what we do? And I'll tell you what the, I'll tell you my thinking, and I believe I represent the Rav and many others. You see, Torah is given within a certain circumscribed civilization. Those of you familiar with the Maranavuchim, the Maranavuchim says time and again that we have this halacha, priest, whatnot, what they can do, how they can cut their hair, when, which one. It's against the Vaidasara. We don't want to be like the old day of The Rambam too and Maranavuchim, Kabbalah, it was a world in which they had to have Kabbalah. This is the way they expressed their gratitude to the Almighty. That's why we have Kabbalah. He views it all within the context of civilization. Fine. The Torah is eternal. Part of being eternal is that there's a whole halachic system. I call it the dynamics of halacha. I don't like the word the development of halacha. I'll tell you why. Because the conservative movement, that goes back historic Judaism, it goes back to Frankel. They viewed halacha as developing. No, we don't view it that way. But within the halacha, there's a framework of laws that enable you to work out the halacha in the context of the civilization in which you live. No, Mark, give me an example, an overriding example. How many wives did Jacob Avinu have? Right or wrong? Two and two. Mark, imagine you say to Esther, I want to have a second wife, a third wife, and I even proposed this in Mahongo. It was a fabulous moment of teaching many of, uh, before you were born, Kenny, or almost before you were born, 50 plus years ago. And I said, imagine you're going out with a boy and a boy says to you, Sarah, Hitler killed a million and a half to two million Jewish children. I love you, I want to marry you, but only on permission I can have three more wives so I can bring into the world 40, 50 Jewish children. What would you say? One girl raised her hand and said she would agree. Now, I, I, I don't want to mention her name. I remember the name. Interacted with her family over the decades. No other girl would agree. Hey, wait a minute. Are you any better than Yaakov Avinu? Avraham Avinu? Yitzhak was an exception, because I'll say why it was a carbon. No. Rabbi Nugashin comes along and says, one wife for one man. And the truth is, you have to understand civilization. 3,000, 2,000 years ago, the purpose of a wife was children. 
So you can have one, two, three. Svadim came in Aliyah. I still remember in, in, in Ramadeshko, there was a family that had two wives. Two wives, one man, two wives. Many children. And the law in the land of Israel is here, you cannot be bigamous, but if you come with two legal wives, you don't have to divorce. Svadic law, they didn't accept Rabbi Nagashim. But you see, today, the concept of marriage is a different concept altogether. It's not just children. It's friendship. It's social responsibility. Leisure responsibility. Husband, wife. Wow. We expect that it's an entirely different concept. And the Torah has to be able to function in this civilization as well. You with me, Kenny? Give you another example. Kol Hamalah made that people Torah ke'ilu linda tiflut. Wow. Yeah, see, what? Did your mother? Where did your mother go to school? Tiflut. Where did your sisters go to school? You have any brothers? You're the opposite of my family. Oh, okay. Tiflut. Where did Esther go to high school? Uh, Central. Which one? Yeah, yeah. Tiflut. What is the Gemara? Ah, the Gemara is absolutely right. Call Svik. If you were alive then and you had a daughter and your daughter was. 12, 13 years old, you made a shidduch for her. There was no time for her to learn in depth. So you're suddenly going to teach a Torah, Mesechet Salta, that you should teach a woman that sometimes she committed adultery, and yet the trial by fire will not find her guilty. Why? According to the Gemara, she did good things. She fed wayfarers. She helped poor people. She had schuyot that saved her. Well, if you're going to teach her that's all she's going to learn, it's tiflot. Nowadays, I go to a dermatologist. It's my own talmita. I go with my wife to, to a big specialist. I taught her sister. She missed being my student because I left Mithala. I stopped teaching there in 85. She came there 88, I think, 87. I taught her older sister. Tiflut, today, women get married later. Not only that, we live longer. Not only that. Kenny Pomram's come from good Your great-grandmother had to churn the butter. Right or wrong? She baked the bread. What she had to do? Who had time for anything else? Today, the women are like men. We're, we, and I, I'll tell you, we have to adjust here, Max, whether we like it or not, in the army. It's unbelievable what's going on. The women in battle, the women in tanks. I'm not happy about it. 
but the Torah has to adjust. And I have to tell you, a lot is being done. The women want to go to the army. They now have programs preparing them. It's like pre-army yeshiva programs. So you see that this is the Torah. It could be, it could very well be when Max was growing up 2,000 years ago, in order to straighten him out, his father had to slap him around. But today, you slap a kid, you get nowhere. So I, I just want to tell you, but what I just said now explains Rakefit's position. The sources are more on the side of Rabbi Nasha Klein. The Gemara and Makat that we just saw, and look at it, look at it in depth. I, I did it quickly. Ah, he's right. Rakefet, keep your mouth shut. But no, I make a good point. Cherem de Rabbeinu Geshem. Can't go any further than that. One man, one wife. Period. Wow. It's good for the Jews. Give me four wives. I can support them. Give me 40 children. Okay. This is an honest dialogue on Torah Hashem to me. Vic? Yes, yes, I'll tell you, if we knew exactly what the middle ground would be, we'd be geniuses. This is part of life. Every child is different. Parents are different. People's sensibilities, emotions, psychology, this is very, very involved. I'll only say to you, at the Woodstock Festival on Simchas Torah Shabbos Lo'aleinu, do you know how many kids were there that were raised with the finest Haredi or the finest Datilu'umi education? Do you know that kids were there from black yeshiva? Not talking Hezka. So you see, we fail, we fail. I would like to believe in a world where a Rebbe from first grade on will give you pride in being a Torah Jew. What we rebuilt after the Shoah, we were wiped out. What existed in America? Again, I grew up in the Bronx. 700,000 plus Jews. The Secretary of State, Powell, years ago, when he greeted Shamir, he landed, the black and the Afro-American, how they could have no Yiddish with them. Shamir looks at him, who can so how do you know Yiddish? He grew up in the Bronx, he worked for a furniture store. When we were in Philadelphia, the furniture we bought, my eldest daughter, the one I just spoke about, the Toenichis, tomorrow there's a very big event happening. I don't know how much the army's going to publicize, but uh, I can't go because I have to be honest. The real reason is... I, I, three hours drive back and forth even though I'm not driving but it's exhausting the reason I'm giving publicly is I can't be with Max you can take whatever reason you want to put them together but uh, it's also people are on the screen a whole the screen is filled I can't uh, call off class and tell them in Chicago and New York and Florida etc 
anyway, um, so that, that daughter, where do you draw the line? She raised five fabulous children with her wonderful husband. I don't think they ever lifted a finger to these kids. So, you see, you ask a good question, but there's no black and no one can really give you black and white guidance. But one thing I can tell you, smacking a kid gets you nowhere. I would much rather a kid should have pride. What Shabbat means, we revolutionized the world. That every laborer needs a day off, even in communist Russia. They took off on Sunday. And, and love, good feeling. And you have to deal. Kids are different. There is going to be a kid who by nature is rebellious. All right, try to encourage him. The rebellion should be in a good fashion. It's like parents always say, my kid rebelled. I, I look at it. That one time a father came to me. This goes back to the 60s. And he says, Rebbe, I don't know what to do with my son. His father was a good Jew. He says, and, but he was a YU Jew. And the son was more right wing. And I said to him, look, Cole's money's in yeshiva. He'll be 100%, 110%, 120%. When he leaves the yeshiva, goes into the big world, you're a businessman. He's going to lose a little. Better to have 120 and lose and go down to 100 than to have 100 and go down to 80. And he, he was so enthralled with what I told him. He hugged me. He was a survivor. You know, there was a certain varum type there, warmth. Oh, he hugged me. But, but you asked a good question. I can't give you a black and white answer. All I can tell you is go to graduate school in psychology and deal with or go in education, educational psychology, and see what you come up with. But it's impossible to say ABC. But on the other hand, Rabbi Nasha Klein and yours truly are on two different sides of the fence now. He said, beat the heck out of the kid. Let him know who's boss. And the sources support him. And Rakefit says, don't lift the hand. Love, love, and more love. Max, I'm going to give you a source now that uh, you're going to wonder how I came up with it, but I came up with it. I want to show you, and it's very important because Rabbi Dratch is angry at Rabbi uh, Klein, and I understand him, but... This is a source from someone who is not right-wing as we understand it. This is a name none of you know today. It's time marches on. We have to, you know, the names are forgotten. It's, uh, it's sad, but that's life. I, uh, I have to live with it. Rabbi Miller said to me, in the Kolil, they don't know, they, there's no derecherits for the Rub's memory I said, look, that's life. I was told already in New York uh, five years ago, Rebbe, you saw the Rav, you lived with him. We don't know who he is today. Don't. If they quote the Rav to us, it doesn't mean it's the last word. There are other opinions. Okay. I taught this man's daughter in Mahon Gold. Arye Ezalmin Arye Hilsen Rad, H-I-L-S-E-N-R-A-D. Vic, the name mean anything to you? 
He was the executive director of the OU, 1939 to 1949. He later founded Jewish Life. Jewish Life was the precursor to Jewish action. Jewish Life was the first magazine, journal, call it what you wish, that I ever published an article in. Okay? Jewish Life, my first article, publication, the rabbinic visit to America to raise funds for the Central Relief Committee, 1924. That was the first article I ever published. The rabbinic visit, 1924. It's a hundred years ago. Now, this man, we're talking about OU. We're talking about 1939-1949. We're talking about Jewish action. We're talking about institutions that are very much part of the so-called modern Orthodox world. Later, he went into life insurance and did very well. He wrote a column for Jewish press. And in 1985, he published a collection of his articles. The volume is called My Soul Thirsts. Three dots. Still. In other words, Nafshi, my soul, thirst for the Almighty, and it still continues. Samalachan Nafshi, Kamalacha Besari, Be'eretz Tiyom, Tsiya, Va'ayef Bolimayim. It's a Pasuk in Behilim, Samach Gimel Bet. This was published by Feldheim. And the article I'm quoting from page 6 begins on page 68. It's fathers and sons. And uh, he tells the following story. Two different parents came to see this Rebbe in the yeshiva. One of them launched into a discourse on the difficulties parents face in their efforts to bring up decent children in this confused era. It seems her son had turned his back on his religious training and the life he had learned in his parents' religious home. And this is one parent. And he continues to talk and to complain and what he did that his son should be good. But what can one do? All is destined from heaven. Good children are a gift from the one above. And this gift was not bestowed upon us with this son. And then he talks about another kid in his son's class, they were the same class from elementary yeshiva right through Masifta High School. And this kid was not the brightest one in the class. My son at times was brighter than him and got better marks. 
And yet this boy grew into a fine, decent adult while my Nebuch fell into the Ibis, which claims so many victims today. And then this man walked out of the room and the Rebbe, the teacher, turned to Hilselrand and told him, now that the man left, I can tell you the real story. They had a teacher in Yeshiva Katana and one day these kids carried on. The room was in a mess and the teacher checked out who were the worst offenders and he punished them. Three smart wax with a ruler over their palms and among them was this man's son and the other boy that he spoke about. Well, this man's son came home, complained to his father. His father was furious. His father went to the yeshiva, told off the teacher, don't you dare hit my son again or I will beat you with these fists. The other kid complained to his father. His father grabbed him by the neck, came to the yeshiva the next day, sat him down. You apologize to the Rebbe for your behavior, and whenever the Rebbe wants to hit you with a ruler, he has my full permission. And the article goes on and on, praising corporal punishment. And this is an article written by the man who was executive director of the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations, the founding editor of Jewish Action. So, what do you say? you got to read the article. I hope this book is not brand Maybe some of you can come up with it. I remember the volume in my time was a widely read volume. It was a beautiful volume, unbelievable material, Torah fighting to establish itself in the United States, the Jewish press. But this article, 100% behind the Gemara in Makat, 100% behind Reb Menasha Klein. Okay. Now, let's go further. Beginning on page Kuf Chafalef, Reb Menasha Klein starts to develop what are the responsibilities of a father to a child. And Rabbi Asher Klein says, yes, I know that in this world today they look upon beating children as a acts of absolute darkness. This was something for the Middle Ages, but not something we have to do today. 
and times have changed. Educational psychology has changed. And, and this is the way to live today. Tzaddikim live this way. But those who beat their kids, this is Rishayim. And this is modern educational philosophy. And Rabbi Nasha Klein says, Chas this is not so. The Torah doesn't change. And Avharachamim, we see that God is merciful. And yet we have on Shim in the Torah, Malkat, Mitat Beitin, Karait. And you see with Adam Harishon what they sinned. Everyone was punished. Malkit are not for children, but that's not what Rabbanasha Klein is saying. We see that corporal punishment is part of the Jewish tradition. No one says a kid is executed. They have a tremendous problem. How do you kill it? But corporal punishment be, be, be with reason and reasonable, we see it's that still with us. And raising children, Ben Sora Umora Neheragal Shem Sofo, even though Rabbi Nasha Klein admits it never happened to Lachal Maisa, but this is teach us to be firm, to educate, and if need be, corporal punishment. And he talks about the Jewish people. There's a whole Aricha Tavarim here, Lechain, because of Chataenu Galinu Miatzenu. There's no greater onish than what happened to the Jewish people. And if this is the case, we see corporal punishment is part of the divine system. Now, the next paragraph is very interesting because it alludes to what you said, Jesse, before. He says, and he admits, look, it's very hard to tell if a father is hitting a kid to educate him or to let out his anger. You know, some people get angry. I mean, it's not just kids, not just hitting. You see, mature individuals get very upset. I saw what we spoke about an hour ago with with what went on in, in the Moetzet Gedolei HaTorah, what went on in Mir Yeshiva, I see people get so upset. Now, I told them I was like that until I read that article. Yeshivat Mir, Pinat Satma. Oh, that article. What are you getting upset about? You want to get upset about Satma? Come on. They're not good Jews, period. That's the way I view it. The minute I thought that. So, it's very hard to tell how, how do you interpret when someone is doing it on purpose for his own personal reasons or doing it l'chaneich. But nevertheless, 
if someone hits the child within reason, it is acceptable. It's not only acceptable, the Gemara in Makat, it's commendable. Tafchetam et bet. And, 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 Kan Kvamatsinu, that the Torah is the opposite of today's academia, the professors, the way they think, the way they teach, the way they speak, the way they educate. We are different. And now, there's no question that even if we're against corporal punishment, we don't accept everything that modern philosophy indicates freedom, do what you want, no limits as long as I don't harm you. Woodstock, we don't accept that as Torah Jews. There are limits. But corporal punishment, to my way of thinking, beyond. Okay. Now he tells a story that uh, I wish we had more details, but what a story. And this story leads us back to Moetzet Gedolei HaTorah. Let me tell the story first. He says, Chas to complain to the authorities, to go to the police, to go to the Mishtara. And do you know what they do? It's criminal, it's sinful. They take children away from their parents. And I've been involved in cases like this. And let me tell you a story that actually happened. And he tells a story about a family in Brooklyn. It may very well be in Borough Park where Rev. Menashe Klein lived. And this family had 13 children. The husband is a Talmud Chacham. He goes and learns in a kolel. He's out of the house all day and his wife takes care of the children. And an incident happened. Mind you, 13 children. Kenny, you think it's beyond us? My niece has 13 children. I have students that have 7, 9, 11 children. Kanain Hara. People are inspired and they give back to, and children, what children? At least here, I don't know in America, but what children? Wow. Unbelievable. So she has 13 children. I'm, I'm paraphrasing his description. A little lady, a little lady, 13 children. And she goes out with them and Suddenly, one kid darts into the gutter. And she grabs him and smacks him. And, you know, the kid can get killed. I had that in Harnov. I had a terrible... I was visiting my daughter there. And I started to pull out. And a French... I found out later the whole story. There's a guy... A lot of the French commute back and forth. I don't know today, but then before you could walk the streets of France. Today they'll kill any Jew if they can. So the, the father was coming back from being in France for a few weeks. And the kid saw his father. He ran into the gutter to cross the street to go to his father. I, I braked. I was so upset. I, I yelled at the kid. The, but 
The kid ran into the gutter. The mother was hysterical. She slapped the kid. Her neighbor saw this, and he writes in parentheses, maybe she was jealous, a woman with 13 kids. Maybe she just hates Jews like that. She called the police. No, the police came. I don't have to tell you who are the police in New York City today. They see a woman with 13 children, a little woman smacking the kid. They began action with social workers to take the kids out of the house. And he writes in, in transliteration, child abuse. Well, he got involved and then he gives the name of the person that solved the problem. And here for the first time, Yomo, you can make a Shechayanu, the name of a very great Jew, a good friend of a guy named Rakefet, Moshe Shera, enters into responsa literature. Max, did you know Rabbi Moshe Shera? Rabbi Moshe Shera, okay, Rabbi Moshe Shera. What was, what was his uniqueness? All right, went to Torah Vadas. His mother was very from his aunt, the mother of Mike Tress. You've heard the name Mike Tress? They were first cousins. Without going into more detail now, I think I told you the story many times. I told it, I don't know, others times to other people. I can't remember where. Uh, I'm always speaking. Sometimes I make sense and sometimes it must be nonsense, but I'm always speaking. Anyway, Moshe Sheriff's older brother was my principal in Salanta, so I knew the Sheriff family. Moshe Sheriff went from Torah Vadas. They had to get him away from the influence of his older brother. They shipped him off to near Yisrael, and he's a mismach of near Yisrael. Moshe Sheriff had the ability to be friendly with Aaron Rakefet and to be friendly with people who were one step beneath Satna. And he was able to run a good Israel that he kept peace. No one else could have acquired, achieved, attuned what Moshe was capable of. Yes, I'll give you a simple example. In 1980, the world was shaking in Israel. Avshach declared Hasidim that the Cherim is still in power of the Vilnagon, particularly Labavitch, etc. In America, Rebel Yitzvay of Litvak, he tried to bring that split to America. Avshach said, you can't be friendly with Hasidim. Someday maybe this will all be written up with archives and sources. Rabbi Moshe Sherech had the ability to keep the Gerach Sidim who supported Chabad and Rabbi Yitzvay under one roof. You follow me, Kenny? Give you another example. Uh, Max, Friday night, do you eat with your wife at the same table? I do, yes. And you have guests and you all eat at the same table. Yes. Do you know that uh, 
Yomo, who, who became a Gerechoshed from Colin Stalin, Friday night when he has guests, the men and women all sit separate. More than that, they even are in separate rooms. Now, excuse me, excuse me. No, no, but I have a different question. How do you run a good at Yisrael when you have a big convention? What are you going to do? Separate seating or family seating? Rabbi Sherer was smart enough when you signed up. Mark once went to an Agudah convention. Yomo, don't correct me with the facts. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Mark, I, 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 I'm just telling you in advance. Behave yourself. Uh, Mark. When I went to Carlos, some families, women ate in, uh, separately, but in the same room. The same room. Baruch Hashem. Uh, you all know what I told you about the Maram Shapiro when he wanted to visit the Chafetz Chaim. You remember what I told you last year? And the Chafetz Chaim Friday night. And he found out the Chafetz Chaim sits next to his wife. So he said, Rebbe, um, could you separate? And the Chafetz Chaim right? I can't go against the Mishnah in Ketuvat. A man is obligated to eat with his wife Friday night. And Shabbos. Anyway. American family, Israeli family, Israeli family, they do separately. Uh, they, they, the women are in separate rooms. Separate rooms. All right. Rabbi Shik. That's all I can say. But coming back here, so Mark signed up for the Aguda Convention. He fills the form. What type of room, what this, what that. A check, money, down payment. What type of seating do you want? Family seating or separate? you follow me, Kenny? Rabbi Shera was smart enough. And that's why all the smart Agudistims say today, if Rabbi Shera were alive, this fiasco wouldn't have happened. Somehow he would have figured out how to... Well, some of the members, the, the, the demonstration, Washington... He would have found what we couldn't find before, you see, the middle road. Do you follow me? And you don't have a Rabbi Shara today, but you have a big split in the It's I'm not the only one that was floored by that attitude. Glat treif. Wow. When I say it, I'm, I'm sick inside. Let me recover. So he says... I was involved, and Rabbi Shera was involved, and Rabbi Shera achieved a miracle that he explained to the social workers, this is a good family, a fine family, and they don't necessarily beat the children, but at this moment, the kid ran into the streets, Hakonet Nefashat, the mother was upset and her instinctive reaction was to slap him, to hit him. But it's not child abuse that you have to take the children away. Wow. And then Rabbi Nasha Klein writes, And now this family that Rabbi Nashiklai knows, maybe it's among his mitpalalim, the shtibul that he has in Borough Park, he says they're older and these very kids 
Some are married, some are learning in advanced yeshivat. And Rabbi Nasha Klein says, this is not the only case. We are doing the old migrimka elu. I know more cases like this. Chas v'chalila, you should be moser and go to the authorities. Wow. Let me go a step further. Then he goes even further. He says, when you take children away from their parents, do you know what you're doing? Not only in Isa the Oraita, the Ten Commandments. Go nave nefesh adam. You're literally robbing the children from their parents. Parents have the indigenous right that these are their children. They're going to raise them. And you are taking away children from their parents? Even a behemoth feels pain if they take their children away. And he goes on, he refers to the Ramban on Shiluah Hakan. he refers to the Halacha that you can't, a, a child has to remain a behemoth with the parent uh, seven days, you can't separate, you can't bring him as a korban and and when mothers have children, there's no greater pain what parents give to have children. And he goes on and he quotes Vanochi with Avraham with Sarah, how she complains she doesn't have children. Rachel Kavali Banim Vim Ain Meta Anochi. We go further. Rachel what it means to be childless, and you're going to take children away from their parents. Yomo, what's? Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in great detail when we deal with Evanescent's Chuba. There's no question that his extreme statements here represent his own life story. But I don't want to get involved with it now because it takes us into Evanescent and it's. Uh, I, I, I will deal with it. Ben Shalom should give me Arichat Yomim because I have so much prepared, you have no idea. Material that's unbelievable. But I want to go one step further here, quote him here. And here you see Rabbi Nasha Klein, he knows what's going on in the world because of his position and people turning to him. And he was a rav and a posek and a survivor of Holocaust and Eli Wiesel's rav, Rebbe, whatever you want to call him, Eli Wiesel had any halakhic problem or emotional problem, he turned to Rabbi Nasha Klein. So he knows what's going on. And here he says something that is so true. And he says, you know what children mean to parents? Look at divorce. Look at the battles and the money 
that parents invest in fighting for custody of children. And here I can tell you from my own personal experience with students. I give you a simple example. Malka and I just meant this was a couple that we know the father, we know the mother, and and we thought they were happily married, lovely people, each one on their own, lovely, lovely, lovely people, and something went wrong. Four children involved. What was spent on lawyers in the divorce, in America, in the infighting in court. You can't believe it. And it's many years later now, the results are terrible. All that money wasted. The eldest child, no relationship with his father. Who knows what's coming up the ladder? A younger boy, they're two boys, two girls. The younger boy looks up to the elder boy. Who knows what his relationship will be? The elder boy got married. The father was not invited to the wedding. I tried to intervene. I contacted uh, people I knew who could perhaps could have influence. I didn't succeed. Tamidim, all Tamidim of mine didn't succeed. I know another case, and here I have to give credit. Again, I'm not mentioning names. I don't know why I should, at least what I'm speaking about now, I should mention the name because it's someone, a family that has been very generous to Yeshiva University. And uh, their son, who had been my Talmud in BMT, Marrying a girl, a different area was east coast to west coast, and her father was my classmate in elementary school, maybe high school as well. We grew up together in the Bronx, and I don't know what went wrong. He's divorced, bitter. The daughter didn't want him at the wedding. And the people, the parents of the son said, look, we know you don't get along with your father. We know your mother and father are divorced. We know it was a caustic divorce. But to perpetuate it in public is not a covenant. Let's keep it up regardless. You must invite your father, he has to be at the wedding, you're his daughter. And he was invited, and he was at the wedding. But what am I saying, Rabbi Klein, how much effort is involved with children in a divorce proceedings, each one fights. My daughter has had cases that go on for a few years till they can settle custody, visitation. And Rabbi Nasha Klein says, you're going to take away children from the parents, you're going to be miser on the family, you're going to get 
the secular authorities involved and he calls it Gonev Nefashot and you know Lotignov Chiv Misa Ten Commandments the analogy Gonev Nefashot Ad Kedai Kach okay so to reiterate there's amazing tshuva I mean I, I you'll see more how he what, what will come back to next week it's uh, an amazing chipper. You can agree or disagree, but there's justification on both sides. So, what did we do today? Well, I, the Gemara in, in, in Makat is critically important, and I have to say that the basic shot in the Gemara is certainly on the side of Rabbi Nasha Klein. All right? <clears throat> the challenge is on someone who thinks like I do, how do you deal with the Gemara? But then again, I have this challenge with Malameid that be told Tiflut. The same challenge. I, I, I have the same challenge with, with, with Rabbeinu Gershom. How do, how do you come and have a cherem which is against the Torah? Yaakov Avinu had four wives. I'll tell you what's amazing. I don't think in the entire Talmud you find anyone with two wives. Yes, there's someone who married when he went from port to port to satisfy his sexual desires, but I don't think there's any basic Tana Amora that had more than one wife. Uh, Yomu, you can check it out. Uh, there is one, I, I know what I'm referring to, that uh, a ship in every port, as the expression goes. But uh, I, I don't know in all of Shas. And yet Rabbi Nugeshim had to make that Takana. Evidently, there were cases in his time where they did have more than one wife. And I have to tell you, in the Sephardic world, it was a different mentality. They didn't expect out of a marriage what our wives expect out of us. And I know, I can tell you a story with BMT. Let me give Mark a good story. The first time I was in lot, I've been in lot twice in my life. Once was with BMT, I was complaining. It was during my early years, maybe in my second year here. I was complaining of, uh, I felt more tired than I ever felt in America. So they sent me to a specialist, an outpatient in Hadassah. That specialist saved my life. He said to me, where did you grow up? New York. New Yorker on sea level. Here you're living on a mountain. The oxygen problem. Of course you're going to feel more tired. That's why you have to take a nap in the middle of the day. At that time in Israel, all the businesses closed down from one to uh, from one to four or one thirty to four. Do you remember that, Kenny? I mean, that's ancient history. Well, that that doctor saved my life from that day until today. I take a nap, but he also said to me, "Get away from Jerusalem for a few days." BMT was going on at Tiyul to, to a lot. What do you mean it to you to a lot? 
we slept on the beach. There, there wasn't any money then or DMT, and there weren't that many hotels in a lot. We slept on the beach, we put up tents, it was fabulous. At night they were patrolling because we're on the border with Jordan. So one of the Sparta kids goes over to the soldier and they start talking. It turns out they're fifth cousins once we moved. So this kid, when I say, and he spoke Hebrew, he was from Flatbush, yeah, this soldier didn't speak English. They had a terrific thing in perfect Hebrew. So I asked him, how do you have so much family? He says, look, my grandfather had three wives. My great-grandfather had four wives. You can't believe how big our family is. But he explained to me that they lived happily because the mentality was set for it. We are not. If Max would try to pull on his wife what I try to pull on, 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 on uh, Mark, she'd smack his face. You follow me? It's a different world. All right, I don't know who's right. Mark, I'm not taking sides. You can agree with me, you can agree with Menashe, fine. I have to be honest. The Gemara in Menachat is like Rav Klein. But my source from Hilzaren, that's unbelievable. Here is someone from the OU, and boy, what he wrote. That kid, that father, you're at fault. Why did you argue with the teacher? Let the teacher beat your son. Turn him into a mensch. The other kid, his father came and actually said to the teacher, beat him more. You got to read the whole article. All right. Uh, Rev. Morris Sherer, imagine of Moshe Sherer, responsible to the in Yoma, that after that march on Washington, and by the way, a lot of people have told me that I, my understanding is correct, there's a big split now between Lakewood and the five towns, essentially. And, and everyone says, if, if Moshe Sherer were alive, the split wouldn't be there. He would have maneuvered somehow. And uh, a lot went on behind the scenes. But you have to understand, when you have a concept, of, let's say, Dolia Torah, it's like you don't talk back. But wow, what a situation. Gentlemen and anyone listening, please become total Jews and join with me, Eretz Yisrael, La'am Yisrael, Torah Yisrael. That says it all. Okay, are there any questions from all the erudite young men sitting, uh, not so, young men and not, not so young men sitting in front of me? Okay, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Yomo, Yomo, up here, up here, open it up. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for me with your presence until we meet again in health and happiness. Das Vidanya Virak Sarat Tovat. Open it up. Recording stopped. Uh, are there any questions from across the world? Are they unmuted? Yes. Okay. Uh, any, anyone can speak? Any questions? I hear a deep silence. David, good to see you since I saw you yesterday. Avraham, what's up? Uh, I would think uh, the, the hitting would depend on the level of hitting. The age of the child, the environment of the child, but, and even if you're talking like we showed him and everything, I remember I was listening to a sheer like uh, the ritual and the rashi would start getting caches. You know, they didn't know about the tefana rabbi 
I heard this year when I was doing Yavamas. So, and you also, you have to think about the Arab culture at that time versus the early onset of Christianity. So, did that play a role in the Tukhana Rabbeinu Gershon and limiting it to one life at that point in time? Because all the guys around had that halakha. So, suddenly only had one life, you know, because they went from uh, being like real Gildahaya Vikings, not that much has really changed, <laughs> to becoming religious Christians. So, I don't know if it's such a black and white... No, no, so, so you're saying that you have to understand that in the context of the time, we absolutely agree. You're nothing in between, you know, uh, you know, a father once in a while, like he's the kid a little patch on the hand. Uh, 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 okay, all I can tell you is that, that you're talking like a social worker with the kid today, yeah. how old he is. The, 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 you, you have kids sometimes that it gets to that and they'll tell the teacher, and then the teacher calls, and it becomes this whole big investigation that didn't need to take place in the first place if the teacher would have just done due diligence or uh, had the child evaluated first or seen by a doctor first before taking any like immediate action. Okay. Uh, right. and, and I've seen it a lot. And, you know, uh, like I worked in the Gardasia system once, and I don't know if it's worse to take them out of the house where at least they know they have a parent, and the parent loves them? Right, the parent so no, no, so, so that, that, you'll hear the way the Shia starts next week, how, what Rabbi Nasser Klein says. But I think this is exactly the question. The, trauma, the psychological trauma sometimes is even worse than the physical trauma. Yeah, no, no, Rabbi Klein says that, black and white. The question is, where do you draw the line? And, and you have to have experts who can feel the various factors involved. But halachal amaisa, I'm very opposed to hitting children, and my wife never let our daughters cry. We just heard a great-grandson, he's my granddaughter-in-law, she's very big and very many degrees, and she feels like it has to cry, you can't come running all the time. I don't know, my wife had a different uh, uh, viewpoint, and uh, never let, I, I remember... Uh, Rebetzin Shulson, Zechrona Levracha, Bertha Shulson, who you're very close to, a great, gracious lady. And I remember she couldn't get over how Malka never let the kids cry. All right, it's many years later. Our children are older than we are today. And Kanain Hara, we're very rewarded with their relationship with today. So I don't know. I can't say black and white, but... I want to hear the chiva to the end. It's very fascinating. And these are issues where there isn't black and white, actually. But nevertheless, I'm hitting a kid. I don't see any constructive results. I may be wrong, but let me err on the side of not hitting than on the side of hitting. All right, I have to sign off here. Uh, in, tomorrow morning, Be'ez Ratashem at 9 o'clock, we will begin and um, there's something happening, but I don't want to talk about it. I'll tell you why. It's, it's a family uh, story, but it involves Tzva Haganali Yisrael. And I don't know what they're going to reveal in public tomorrow. It's going to be a big story, and it should be a big story, and it should give encouragement to every chayal, and it's 
borders on a little bit of miraculous, I would say, but uh, I don't want to say anything till I see what the army reveals, what the intelligence reveals publicly. So it's a big day tomorrow in my family, but we'll start the day right here in this classroom, and we pick up exactly where we left off with the Prime Velazhin, the Vilna Gon, the relationship to the Vilna Gon, and we'll pick up with the Chazonish, right where we left off last time, there's Ratanath of Koach. I want to thank everyone on the screen for honoring me with your presence and encouragement. It's worth a great deal. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Shavuotov, Besorotov, Dasvidaniyah.